All righty. Howdy, church. So I'm Mike, one of the pastors here. And, oh, thank you. You're too kind. And I had this story that was passed on to me I wanted to open up with here. Apparently there was this guy, and he wandered into this little bitty antique shop in San Francisco. Had some high hopes, you know, finding a diamond in the rough, but it became pretty apparent after looking for a few minutes that probably not going to find it there. It was mostly knickknacks, what you'd call junk, not even collectibles. But on his way out, looks on the floor next to the register and notices what appeared to be this ancient vase. He started looking a little bit closer, and because of some back knowledge that he had, he realized, oh my goodness, that vase is from the Ming Dynasty in China. And he couldn't even calculate how much it's worth, but thought, man, that's worth everything else in the store, probably the building that the dude's renting for the store, and realized, oh, this owner has no clue. He's just got this sitting on the floor there, doesn't realize how valuable this is. It's filled with milk. The cat's just lapping out of it. And he saw this opportunity and thought, you know, I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to get me something uh, that's the find of a lifetime. And he kind of strategized this little plan for how he could get this vase for a fraction of what, um, of what it was worth. So he goes up to the owner who's working the register and he says, you know, it's a pretty legit cat you have right there. How much would you want to sell her for? And the owner was a little bit confused and said, well, you know, the cat's not really for sale. Like, she's really just here to keep the store free of mice. This is an old building, so it's kind of a must to have a cat around, you know. And the guy said, oh, but I, I've got to have this cat. I'll tell you what, I'll give you 100 bucks on the spot right now and pulled out the $100 bill. And the owner just kind of laughed and said, I, I'm telling you, this cat's really not worth it. But if you want this cat this badly, then she's yours. And then the guy dropped part two of his plan. said, well, you know, if I'm going to have this cat, I mean, I've got to have something to feed the cat out of. And so, you know what, I'll throw in an extra 10 bucks if you give me that vase um, that the cat's drinking out of, that saucer, and we'll call it a deal. And the owner said, I could never do that. You see that saucer sitting right there? It's actually an ancient vase from the Ming Dynasty in China, and it's my prized possession. I can't put a value on that thing. It's priceless. But it's funny because ever since we put it down there and started feeding the cat out of it, we've sold like 17 cats this month. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you guess who passed that story along to me. <laughs> but it's amazing. Even goofy stories like that show just how much we're willing to do when we see the true value of something what we're willing to do to go after that. And that's how Jesus wants us to see the kingdom of God, more valuable than anything else, priceless, worth more than everything we have. That we would see the kingdom of God as that's the way I'm supposed to pattern my life. Because the truth is, the kingdom of God's already here. It's not all the way here until Jesus comes back, but we're living in this. And if you're part of the kingdom, I mean, this is a forever thing. Like heaven's coming to earth. We're gonna get to help rule this like that's, that should psych us up. When we follow Jesus, we follow the king of the universe. We said that a few weeks ago and we're gonna dive into these three parables that Connor gave us a little preview of as we read those together. And I really hope it convicts us and moves us just as much as the people who heard it almost a couple thousand years ago. So why don't we pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to get us ready. Lord, I'm thankful for what you did. I'm thankful that you told stories. We resonate with stories. And as we 
grapple with these stories that you told, I pray we'll get a good picture of what your kingdom's like, of what it means to be a part of it and to live according to that. Jesus, you know how we came in here today. If we came in chill, if we came in stressed, tired, geared up, I just pray you'll meet us wherever we are. You already know what we need. I ask that you'll provide it. I pray you'll do a really, really cool thing. Um, I pray that we'll know you a whole lot better, and I pray that we'll go and make you known a whole lot better this week. And um, we just ask this together, boldly and proudly, and we say, amen. Alrighty, so if you would flip to Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. As always, hard copy is awesome. You can look on screen. You want to go to insidescc.org, click take sermon notes. Everything's right there. You can even save your notes if you want to type those in. We won't look at you on your phone and be like, how can you do that? We'll be like, it's, it, 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 it's the 21st century. It's what we do. So series recap real quick. This series is called Follow Me. And it's basically based around the fact that when Jesus issued those words to his disciples, that changed their lives forever. It reoriented the course of history. And when those words which are still extended to all of us, echo through, it really does kind of the same thing. And so we're going to look at these three parables that paint a picture of God's kingdom. And we've said before, a parable, it's basically, if you boil down an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the people that heard this the first time that are sitting there listening to Jesus, they are probably in their minds going, I got to be completely honest with you, Jesus. It doesn't sound like this is very politically promising, um, because the lords of the land, it's the Roman Empire. Um, you know, they carry a big stick. They talk really loud. Don't think that's going to happen. Um, Jesus, most of us following you were pretty socially unimportant. We're common peasants, don't really hold positions of power. And on top of that, there's not a whole lot of us. We're pretty numerically inferior compared to what you see around the world. And yet, this would grow to become something, the movement of the church, it would become something far bigger and greater than what they could have imagined in that moment. So Jesus has been telling this string of parables, uh, and he gets to this one, verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had, and he bought that field. This is what we call a one-point parable. Usually, it's just meant to communicate one big idea, and a lot of times the main character is the only character in this parable. And so that's what we have. So it talks about this treasure hidden in a field. And a lot of us, modern day Western world, think why in the world would you hide a treasure in a field? That seems reckless. That does not seem like a good call. Well, a few reasons. One, there really weren't formal banks in the ancient world like we think of now. When the Bible mentions bankers, it usually was talking about people that were either exchanging one type of currency for another, for travelers, or maybe somebody who would give you a loan, but there wasn't a modern banking system. And the closest thing they had were maybe like the pagan temples, but you had to be pretty wealthy to put your money there. So if you were an average working class person, you stored your wealth by putting it in a strong box or a container, and you buried it in the ground, or maybe just for an extra level of protection to keep your eye on it, you buried it under the floorboard of your house. And so... Um, Joe, I got a cough. Can we get a mute? <clears throat> All right, first service, we, that didn't happen, and everybody paid the price, so you're welcome. <laughs> 
What's neat is they found an example of how they stored this stuff uh, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, when the little shepherd boy looking for his goat or whatever went into this cave and discovered these. One of the scrolls that they found is called the Copper Scroll. And I'm going to show you a picture of an aerial shot of this. This is like on kind of the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. There was this community called Qumran where a bunch of Jewish folks lived. And on this Copper Scroll, one of the things contained on it was a treasure map that located where all the residents of the community had buried their valuables. So coins, jewels, precious metals, all that stuff. So this was a really common thing. But another thing that seems odd, we almost have to deconstruct a lot to really get at this parable because our brains will so many, go so many directions. It seems weird that the guy just rehides it and then buys it, doesn't alert the owner at all. It's like, why wouldn't you tell the owner? Isn't the treasure in his field? Isn't that kind of unethical? And there's some merit to that, because even in the ancient world, if you got a title deed that said you own land, a lot of times it would specify this owner owns the land and they own everything in the land. But for whatever reason, maybe the guy's just excited because he's a peasant, working class guy, probably working for the landowner, stumbles on this treasure, which you know might be something like a large stash of coins, something like that. And all he knows is, I've got to have this. This is worth more than everything I got. And he does what it takes to get it. And whether or not this is a shady move by the dude, to be honest, it doesn't really affect the main part of the story. You know, we, we can make the mistake of reading every little detail into this, but, you know, it doesn't impact the main point. Jesus isn't saying you're going to justify what the guy did and how he did it. He's not saying, hey, I want you to go do this and find it this way. Because when Jesus told stories, sometimes it was the shady characters who end up doing something virtuous and commendable, Right? It's also not saying we can buy our salvation. It's not saying Jesus is this treasure hunter and he bought our redemption from sin. No, 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 no. No, it's more painting a picture of a, of a person that we're supposed to relate to. And what's he doing? He's, he's really kind of seeking God's blessings. The guy buying this field, he wants more than anything to have the most valuable thing available to him. He will give up everything he has to get everything that's truly worth something. And that's the main point, that the kingdom of God, that this, it, it's priceless. And the value of being part of that, it goes beyond what our brains can grab. What's crazy, even though it's priceless, it is accessible. Like we can have it. You may not even be looking for it. Maybe like the guy when he finds his treasure and he just stumbles into it. Boom, there it is. You know, Jesus wants us to read this parable and the ones after it and go, huh. So if I call myself a disciple, if I answered that call, follow me and said, I will follow you, do I see the true value of God's kingdom? You know, am I living like that's truly priceless? If someone looked at my life, would they say, yeah, Jesus is worth more than anything? They're clearly following the king, clearly going after that kingdom. I was talking to a pastor friend who got his start serving in ministry in rural North Carolina. He was at this little church and it was an older guy in the church. I think he was a deacon, might have been a widower, just single in this phase of life. Lived super simple. It had a little trailer. I don't even know if it was double wide. Just lived in this tiny little trailer, but it was just super generous, super kind. You need something, he showed up. Uh, need something repaired, got your back. Charitable cause at church, you know, yeah, he bought the shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. That kind of guy. He was just that, and he was just super kind. And thought it was kind of cool to get to know this guy. And then a year or two in, came to realize this man 
was the owner of like a multi-million dollar enterprise. He owned just more than what they could imagine. But he basically just said, you know, it's not for me. I'm part of God's kingdom. It's for him. Everything I have, I just need enough just to live on. And and I just love people and I do what he tells me to do. And I go about things. He was a kingdom-minded person. He saw the kingdom as priceless and he lived like it. So that's a challenge to us. And especially when Jesus stacks the second parable right on top of this. In verse 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. So yet another one point parable. Well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this person in the story is actually on the hunt, actively searching. First guy who found the treasure in the ground, he, he just stumbled on it. Maybe wasn't even trying. And there's a rendition, I think it's maybe by a comic book artist or someone, and they showed this merchant and what it would look like. And I love this picture that we're going to show because you even look, you know, he's even got the tools of the trade to really examine and see that this pearl is what he really thinks that it is. His circumstances are a little different. Guy in the first story, working class peasant. Probably didn't have a whole lot. Very blue collar, lower class. But this guy's a merchant. And that means probably has some knowledge, maybe has some education, definitely has some wealth back in his operation. And pearls in the ancient world, man, they were, at least in this era of history, they were highly thought of. Divers would go down into the Red Sea, they'd go into the Persian Gulf, they'd go into the Indian Ocean, they'd bring these things up. And a lot of the wealthy women in the Roman Empire would wear them on necklaces. And when we look at how they were valued and bring that to modern day, we're talking some of these pearls are worth in like the tens of millions of dollars. So it became this really common example that they would use. So if you were a Jewish teacher and you're talking about God's word and how valuable it was, what did you compare it to? You compared it to a pearl. You know, the law of God, the ultimate, you know, it is worth something. And Jesus does the same thing, but it's a little bit different because usually when they talked about pearl stories and those were told, and there were a lot of them apparently, the focus was on the person who went and found the pearl, how faithful they were, how persistent they were, But no, that's not the focus here. Jesus says, no, the focus is on how valuable and priceless it is because the kingdom I bring is priceless. It's worth more than what you can imagine. And so both men respond the same. See something more valuable than everything they have, sell everything they can to get it. They do what they have to do. And that treasure took top priority. It reoriented how they approach their life here. But the difference is it kind of shows the two different ways most of us find the kingdom of God. Because, you know, some of you, when you started following Jesus, it was an intentional thing. You knew something's off, something's not right, there is more to life. And you went on a spiritual journey. You maybe researched lots of different religions. You read books. You talked to people from different faiths. Uh, You maybe looked up YouTube videos that you thought were reputable. And you really dug in And your spiritual journey eventually led you to the fact, you know, Jesus really is who he says he was. He was the God of the universe. He can save me. He can give me purpose. That's that's who I'm going to follow. But some of you are like, no, that's not how I follow Jesus. You know, it wasn't really on my radar. Maybe you were your own master. You called your own shots and, you know, maybe it was great. Maybe it wasn't, but at least seemed tolerable. You didn't know what else to do. You know, maybe you were spiritually apathetic 
possibly agnostic, you believe well, there might be a higher power, but probably disconnected, doesn't really care what's going on, or maybe an atheist, though there's no spiritual being out there. But one day, somehow, you were encountered with Jesus without warning, and your heart was changed, your mind was transformed, you saw who you really were, you saw what you really needed, and you signed up and surrendered to Jesus. I, I was talking to a guy recently that I've known quite a few years and we were just kind of catching up. We were actually at a funeral home and he, we got to talking about how we came to faith and I shared how I came to faith and he said, well, you know, for me, it was a little different because I was living a good life on the West Coast and, uh, you know, I thought life was pretty good. And then a girl that I was kind of interested in invited me to a concert and I show up at the concert venue looking around going, this doesn't look like a typical concert venue and it starts and he realizes it, it's not, it was actually a church and ended up hearing the gospel and gave his life to Jesus. He said it changed all that night. And I wasn't really looking for it. I just was interested in this girl. I like music and boom, that was that. You know, we, we get to Jesus different ways, but the important thing is we see his kingdom is it. <laughs> wow. His kingdom is it. Thank you, little fly. So what's crazy is Jesus kind of banks a different direction. And he tells this third parable, and uh, it's just a little different. Let, let's check it out, 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a net that was let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and they collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. And this is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and they'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus has told six parables in a row. We couldn't look at all six. We, we don't have time for that. But we told this last three. He's told six parables in a row and he ends with this one. And it's in a different spot. It takes place on a lake. It involves a dragnet. I'll show you a picture of what a dragnet looked like. They could be lots of different styles. Sometimes they called it a sane net. Pretty much this is how it worked. It'd either be between two boats or attached with some sets of ropes. And so the top of the net would have floaters, so it would float and stay on the surface. The bottom of the net would usually have some sort of weight or a sinker on it that we could kind of go curl up the fish. And then you pulled it in and you catch a lot of different fish at once. We actually have one of these smaller version, maybe 10 feet wide, that belonged to my great grandpa. Um, but before you look and you're like, I'm going to go off to Ace Hardware and I'm going to get me one of those, I, I want to warn you, it's actually illegal to sane for fish. It's not a legal way. So um, if you decide to do that, the DNR will come after you and a conservation officer will probably slap you with a fine. So do not do this. Do not, just like you wouldn't imitate buying a field and not telling the owner you found treasure, like don't go literally do this, all right? Jesus is, has something bigger here, okay? But in the Sea of Galilee, which was like a big lake. And that's probably what people are thinking of here because there's lots of fishing that went on there. There were more than 20 kinds of fish. A lot of them were inedible. You wouldn't want to eat them. Or the Jewish laws said, well, we can't eat them. We're not allowed. They're unclean. And so you drew in your seine net, your drag net. You catch all these different kinds of fish together, and then you had to start sorting. Good, bad, good, bad. We can eat that. No, that'll make us unclean. Don't want to do that to grandma. Throw that one out, you know. But then you know, that sounds fine. They can relate to this, but then it gets heavy really fast. It's like, wait, Jesus is like, this is how it'll be. Angels are going to come, separate the wicked and the righteous. There's a blazing furnace. They go into that. Oh, by the way, there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. It's like, whoa, this seemed hopeful. 
You're talking about treasure finding and you end with that for this section? Jesus, what are you getting at? Well, Jesus says that's what it'll be like when the day of judgment comes. You're either going to be accepted, you're gonna, either going to be part of the kingdom or, or you're not. You're either going to be righteous that you've been justified by God to be there or, or you're not if you found some other authority you tried to follow that you're just not going to be part of the kingdom. There's going to be a separation. And there starts to be lots of debate with how to literally take these images. The truth is Jesus, he was always trying, he knew that, you know, it's just hard to describe spiritual places with earthly language. He did the best he could. At one point, he looked at the trash heap in the Hinnom Valley where it was always burning. And this valley was sketchy anyway because human sacrifice used to happen there. And now there's this nasty smell and trash. And he said, well, hell's going to be kind of like that. Well, this is kind of that way. Is it a literal fire from a blazing furnace? Well, maybe not. But you know what? I've been around a wood stove or two. I've stood next to a furnace. The idea of being inside of that, it sounds uncomfortable and it sounds miserable, painful. You know, will there be actual weeping and gnashing of teeth? Maybe not. But I've volunteered in the nursery before and I can tell you, if that's eternity, do not sign me up. Like, no, not interested. Bottom line is, whatever these conditions are, if the king of the universe is not there, it's not a place I want to be. And that's what Jesus wants us to see here. So why would he end with that, that way? Is it just to show that we got some high stakes that we're dealing with? Well, not exactly. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what, no matter what your response was on the last parables, if you say, yeah, I stumbled into the kingdom of God, no, I went looking for it, I found it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not really on board with the kingdom of God. I got another authority, either me or something else. Well, Jesus says, well, I just need you to know I'm still the king and I have the final say on this. You know, because we can try to justify ourselves all we want. We can try to make the excuses. But when that net gets cast and the king comes back, we want to be the good fish. It's his standard that matters. You know, this time of year, it's funny, listening to the Operation Christmas Child, it started making me think about Christmas and the gifts and stuff, you know. Crazy times we live in with marketing targeted at our kids and kids with allowances and things like grandparents to bankroll the whole thing. You know, this is the time of year where the gifts start streaming in. And so what's that mean? You're looking at your kid's room, at least this is out in my house, and you're going, we don't have room for the toys that are already here. We need space for these. And so you send the kids up, you say, I need you to sort the toys into a keep pile, a, a get rid of or donate pile and a maybe pile. But when the time comes, is it the kid that makes the final decision? Well, no, it's usually not. Who is it? It's the mom or it's the dad, whoever it was. You lord over the toys and you make the call. Well, it's kind of like that. When Jesus' kingdom comes all the way, he makes the call. So what do we do if this kingdom is so valuable? How do we grapple with this, these three parables? Well, we shared this quote four weeks ago. I want to put it back up here because it, it really hits the nail on the head. It's by a guy named Robert Capon. And he said that when Jesus told a parable, that usually this is what he was trying to do. He said, parables are meant to pop every circuit breaker in people's minds. After all of our yammer and opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world, getting people to just stand there with their eyes wide open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. And that is what Jesus' parables are designed to do. And so, <coughs> Jesus is aiming for two responses. 
if you have ears to hear. Well, he wants you to lean in and be like, so what? All right, these parables, what does that really mean for me? You got, flesh this out, Jesus. Or if you don't have ears to hear and you're kind of on, you know, on another wavelength or something, he's saying, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to pretend to be. You can be honest about where you're at. And so whether you stumbled into finding Jesus without trying like the finder of the treasure in the field or you went on a search intentionally like the merchant with the pearl or you say, no, that's not where I'm at, we need to ask this question for all of us who do follow Jesus. Well, am I a disciple who sees the true value of this kingdom? Am I living every day like it's a priceless thing worth giving up everything for? Do I look like somebody that they, Jesus is worth more than anything? I don't know if you realize this, and some of you may have been in this spot, but whenever those of us who stand up here and teach come up here, you know, we all have our different processes, but a lot of times it involves something like really digging in and studying you know, the Bible, studying the passage we're going to look at, looking at related passages. Sometimes we'll go back and we'll look at it in Greek or Hebrew, or we'll get a commentary or a book. You know, we'll seek out other teaching. And one of the things I love to do is I just seek out other teachers and people that have been doing this longer than me. And I, and I just kind of listen and I try to sit under their teaching. See, you know, guys, is there anything you want to show me that I need to pass along? And that happened for me this week. I stumbled on a message from a pastor I love. And we talk about him sometimes, Tim Keller. And it was a message he gave in 1994. I started following Jesus in 95. So it was kind of this cool moment. Man, Lord, like I started following you in 95. And a year before that, this message was preached. And here it is. And I'm in my 30s. And I'm getting to share about this. This is so cool. This has come full circle. And he gave a couple of challenges and said, this is what these parables really challenge us to do. And it hit me like a lead weight but brought me out at a healthier spot. And I thought, you know, I hope it does for you. Here's a couple of the challenges he gave. First, he said, if you want to be all about the kingdom and you want to live like it's priceless, then what you need to do, one thing you need to do is you've got to surrender your small ambitions. When I first heard that, I thought, you know, Lord, why are small ambitions such a big deal? As long as I have the big ambition of knowing you better and making you known, why can't I have little side ambitions I want? And Jesus is like, well, you know, Mike, yeah, I mean, those ambitions are fine, but are they surrendered to me? Or are you treating them like, no, hey, Jesus, here's my life, but this is mine. This, this is for me. You, I'll be about your stuff most of the time, but this is my thing. This is my little side project. I was like, oh, okay. So where my brain went, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll be thinking financially or something. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. You need to think about where you're going to be standing when you talk about this. Okay. And if you asked me and said, well, Mike, what are you about? What is your ambition when you stand up there in front of all your church family and you unpack this? I'd probably say something like, well, on a day like today, I'd love it if you walked out of here and you said, you know, um, I'm glad I'm part of God's kingdom, but, um, you know, I need to really think about if it's really priceless, is God calling me to surrender a little bit more, you know? Or maybe that you'd walk out of your courage like, man, God's finding me faithful. I am living in the way he wants me to live. Or if you're not on board saying, you know, I'm not part of God's kingdom, but should I be? Is that something I should go back and think about more? And that's the answer I'd give you. But if I'm going to be honest, there's lots of little small ambitions that creep in. Like, man, Lord, I hope I don't sound like an idiot up there today. Or I hope people would say, man, you know, he's actually 
seems to be decently educated for a kid who grew up in Union Township, you know? Or, you know, I'd, I'd, if I'm going to be honest, I'd say I'd love if you said, man, the next time Mike's up, I really want to hear him talk. Those little ambitions that creep and rear their heads in my life. I had to go confess those. I had to go repent of those. Um, and that wasn't very fun. But I think we've all got that. You know, some of you, maybe it's an ambition driven on pride. You just want to be better. You want to accomplish more and you want to be seen as a certain thing or you know, and maybe you're taking a good thing and making it about you instead of about God. But maybe it's the other way. Maybe you got hurt and you don't trust. And so fear is what grounds all of your small ambitions. You walk into every situation and you walk into every conversation and you're thinking all the time, my goal is I do not get hurt. I eliminate every single risk in this situation. I'm going to control that. And the truth is, we know we can't do that. That's a miserable state of mind to live in, but a lot of us do it. I've been in seasons where I did that. Maybe that becomes your little small ambition, and it's like, no, like, God doesn't want to leave you to live in fear. He wants you to live in trust. He wants you to live in confidence and courage. So for you, what would be your small ambition that you need to surrender? Maybe a good thing that you took off course, or maybe a bad thing that's not even your fault, but it's got to get out of the way if you're going to have a kingdom mindset. And this was the second challenge he gave. He said, you got to stop working hard to earn and you got to start working hard to receive. You got to stop working hard to earn and we got to start working hard to receive. Because the truth is sometimes we hear a message and we, we hear a teaching and we're like, oh man, I'm going to go work hard. I'm going to find, um, God's going to find me worthy this week. You know, and God may give you some marching orders, but maybe it's more like this. Maybe it's that, God says, you know what I want you to do? I just want you to take 15 minutes this week. I want you to sit down in a certain spot and I just want you to just be open-handed and just say, Jesus, what you got today? What's not surrendered? Who's the coworker that needs to know your hope today and just needs a little extra love? Who's the relative that I'm scheming to not let them come to the family Christmas party because they're gonna make it awful but I need to love them, you know? <laughs> Jesus, what, what, what do you got? How can I be about your kingdom? You know, maybe that's what that looks like this week. So those are the two challenges we walk home with is surrender our small ambitions that get in the way of being about the kingdom and stop trying to work so hard to earn the kingdom because we can't, but just receive and see what God has. So we're gonna take a couple minutes and we're just gonna pray. Uh, I trust that the Holy Spirit's in this room, that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and he can show this to us. So get in a position that you want. If you just want to sit there, bow your head, hands open, on your knees, no judgment here. However, you will best focus on Jesus right now. Jesus, um, we're thankful you brought this kingdom. We're thankful we get to be a part of it, even though it's not all the way here yet. God, the idea that heaven's coming to earth, um, it does blow our brains. We can't process that. But we know that we want to be about that as much as we can on this side of things before you come back. Jesus, I ask that you would just show us what are those small ambitions? Those things that, Lord, 
Show us the ones that maybe are built on good things, ways that you wired us, gifts that you gave us, experiences we had that maybe we've just taken it and made it our own out of pride or, God, show us that. Let us, let us surrender that to you and see if you wanna do something with that or if you want us to set it down. Or Jesus, if there's one that, that comes out of hurt that's grounded on fear or control, show that to us, Father. What do you got? Where are we at? Point us to that woundedness, God, as, as scary as that is. Jesus, we come to you. We take every single one of these ambitions, however small they may be or big, and we just lay them in front of your feet and we confess, we've chased these. We haven't been about your kingdom as much as we should. Jesus, we repent. We just turn away from that. We ask you to rewire our hearts, to change our minds, change how we see these things, how we see you and ourselves. Jesus, we want to be good citizens of this kingdom. Will you just take these small ambitions and would you just do away with any power they have to take us off course? We ask for your mercy and your grace in this moment, Jesus. And Lord, we ask now, Holy Spirit, would you let us know how do you want us to work hard to receive from you this week? To not just strive and grit our teeth, Lord. I know, we know there's a place for hard work, but it's in responding to you. We gotta receive from you first. So Jesus, what do you have for us? What's that area of our life that you want our attention on right now? Lord, will you just whisper it to us? Will you nudge it? Uh, give us a nudge or paint a picture in our brains or maybe use somebody else in this room that's going to let us know. <laughs> we don't really care, God. We just want to know. What is it? How can we receive from you faithfully this week? How can we trust you a little bit more? Jesus, we want to focus on that before we even get to the marching orders of what you're going to ask us to do. But what do you have for us? Jesus, I pray that as we walk out of this place that you'll find us people who have ears to listen. I pray you'll go with us and you'll speak loudly. I've, I pray that as we walk from this place, Holy Spirit, that it'll be like we've just got your hand on our shoulder, on our back, of you just going, oh, I'm proud of you. Oh, I love you. Oh, I'm so glad you're in my kingdom. Let's get at this. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that we would know you and that we would make you known just faithfully and that you'd give, give us the joy in that, that that guy who found that treasure and that merchant who found that pearl had in that moment. Jesus, we thank you that we could come here together. Let us remember this time this week that we spent just sitting in front of you, just talking with you and listening. In your name, amen. Kind of to close out, if I had something and I looked at you and I said, I got something I'd like to sell to you and it's 500 bucks, you interested? What's the first question that you would ask? What is it? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're talking about like a, you're talking about a sticker sheet from Dollar General, you're talking about a toaster, you know? I bet you if I said it's actually a new BMW and you said 
I'll be back in an hour. Wait right here, right? We do whatever it took. Let's have that attitude this week. Let's go. Let's be about God's kingdom. Let's look at it as priceless. Let's sit and receive from him. And let's just see what he does. Does that sound good? Well, we're ending just a couple minutes early. If, if you got time uh, to stack a chair, that'd be awesome. Stacks of six. But otherwise, just enjoy visiting with each other. And we're psyched to be back next week. For those of you going on fall break, have an awesome fall break. We'll see you soon.